If you look at the names that are on the screen in front of you, Moses and David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Jesus, Cornelius, Paul, by any possible metric, these are individuals that we would all seek to emulate. These are men and women, Old Testament, New Testament, those that were leaders, those that were not leaders, the greatest person to ever walk the earth, as well as just individuals that were, that were servants of others. These individuals all had one thing in common. At one point in time in their lives, the scriptures tell us that they did something. The scriptures tell us that some of these people did something regularly. And this purposeful act drew them closer to God and strengthened their faith. Now, it's interesting that what we're going to be talking about tonight, we don't really talk about a whole lot. This is something that uh, even though these individuals, these, these great characters of faith exhibited and used in their lives, in our day and time, it is not something that is, that is very popular. And what I want us to talk a little bit about tonight is fasting. Um, now, we don't talk about fasting a whole lot, but it's not because it doesn't appear in the scriptures a whole lot. In fact, if you look, it occurs 26 times in the Old Testament and 21 times in the New Testament. 47 mentions of fasting in the scriptures. Now, just because something is mentioned more than once does not mean that it's any more important. But I want us to realize this is not something that is just mentioned in passing one time and we never come back to it. Again, this is mentioned in the lives of great characters of faith. This is mentioned in the Old Testament. This is mentioned in the New Testament. We hear of individuals that do it. We hear of entire groups that do it. We hear of churches in the New Testament that fasted. But yet, this is something that we don't regularly discuss. And there's probably a couple reasons for that. Um, you know, maybe we associate this with the customs of the Jews. And so we associate this with the Sabbath day or with the different feast days or with the different things that they did. And so we consider fasting as something that was connected to the Old Testament, to the old law, and is not necessarily applicable to us today. Or maybe you associate fasting with a monk in a monastery somewhere on a hillside. That's what I think about. Someone who has taken a vow of silence for 60 days or someone that is going to some extreme lengths to show how pious and how humble they are. This was very common during the Middle Ages and this may be one of the reasons that fasting kind of fell out of favor was that during this period of time there were the individuals that were trying to show just how humble, how pious they were, how religious they were. Or maybe, probably this is the camp that I fall in, we just like to eat. <laughs> you can look at me and tell I've not missed many meals in my lifetime. I, I like to eat. Uh, our culture especially, we love food. You know, maybe more than any culture in the world, that, that's the stereotype of Americans. We love to eat. We have so many opportunities to eat. There are probably very few people in this audience tonight that have truly gone hungry at some point in time in their lives. Now, now, most of us kind of throw these words around, and this, this makes me think about Mel Prater. Mel Prater used to always get on, no, you're not starving. You say you're starving, you're not starving. But we do, we throw those words around and say, oh, man, I'm starving, or oh, I'm so hungry. How, how often have we truly been hungry? How often have we truly been in an opportunity where we did not have anything to eat? We, we are so fortunate and so blessed to live in a time and to live in a country where, where food is abundant. Now, now, it may not always be the food that we want, but even then, a lot of times the food that we want is, oh, Chick-fil-A's closed today. 
So I guess I'm going to have to go to nukes or something like that. We have so much around us. And so we don't relish the idea of giving that up. And that's truly what fasting is. Fasting is making a choice to abstain from food. If you go back and you look at the word that's used in the Hebrew for fasting, it comes from the root meaning to shut the mouth. So it is literally talking about abstaining from food, shutting the mouth, not eating. But what I want to challenge us tonight is to look at fasting a little bit differently. If you are like me and maybe you fall into one of those categories where you associate it with the Old Testament or maybe you just associate it with, you know, some uh, excessive asceticism, uh, you associate it with kind of earning your way into salvation, or again, if we just like food and we don't like the idea of giving it up. Let's try to look at fasting a little bit differently, and we're going to spend a lot of time in the scriptures tonight. Uh, We are going to look at a lot of scriptures, and primarily, we're just going to do an overview And we're going to see what the Old Testament and the New Testament has to say about fasting. The first time that we're introduced to this, this is actually the only time that we see fasting commanded. And this is on the Day of Atonement. So if you would go to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16 and then again a little bit later in chapter 23 talk about the Day of Atonement. And this was that day when the high priest would Uh, go in and he would make atonement for his sins and then he would go and he would offer a sacrifice to make atonement for the people. So this was a big deal. This was the day that a sacrifice was being offered to take away the sins of the nation. And it was on this day in Leviticus chapter 16 and in verse 29 that we see the commandment, this shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. That's the New King James wording there. You shall afflict your souls and do no work at all. Now, that is not readily apparent that afflicting your soul is fasting. But when we go to the New Testament, when we go to Acts chapter 27, in Acts chapter 27, as as Paul is going through these journeys, he refers to the Day of Atonement. And he actually refers to it in Acts chapter 27 and in verse 9 as the fast. Acts chapter 27 and verse 9, Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. And that was speaking there about the day of atonement. We see some other clues as to what this afflicting the soul means in the Psalms. Uh, Look quickly, if you would, in the 69th Psalm. the 69th Psalm, and there in verse 10. It says, When I wept and I chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. Other versions use that word afflict. I chastened my soul with fasting. You can go back to the 35th Psalm. The 35th Psalm, and in verse 13, it says, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. What I want to bring out right here is that immediately we can see that the point of fasting is not to be hungry. While fasting does mean to abstain from food, the point of the fast was not to just be really hungry and think about how hungry you were, to take away something that you really liked so that you would be miserable. The point is to focus on the soul. In that day of atonement, it was to afflict your soul. As the psalmist said, it was to humble your soul. It was to chasten your soul. So from the very beginning, from the first time that we are introduced to fasting, we're told immediately that this is not about the body. This is not about being hungry. This is not about just taking away something you like. This is to focus you on your soul and on your soul's relationship to God. 
Well, let's look at a couple of other instances. You may be thinking about this, but when I think about fasting, maybe one of the first times, one of the first occasions that comes to mind is David. David, in an act of mourning for the child that is sick, this is the child that is a product of the sinful relationship between he and Bathsheba. But when you go to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and there in verse 16, it says, David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. And they were told that seven days pass. The child dies. They're afraid to go into him. They see what he has been doing for seven days. For seven days, David has not eaten with them. He has fasted and he has prayed and he has pleaded with God for the life of the child. And they're afraid to go tell him what has actually happened. But he surprises them. And when they tell him that the child has passed away, what does he do? He gets up, he cleans himself, he goes to worship, and then he goes to eat. So as this act of mourning, as this, as this act of trying to draw closer to God, to plead for the child's life, we're going to notice lots of times fasting goes hand in hand with prayer. Prayer and fasting are linked together. Again, not just to be hungry, but to grow closer to God. We see this is not the only time that David fasted. If you back up a little bit, you go back to the very beginning of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 1, when the news is brought to David about Saul and Jonathan and the army, and the army, all the individuals that passed away, in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12, they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul, for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. David and his men here are not the only ones. If you go back just a little bit, probably just another page or so in your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 31, these valiant men of Jabesh Gilead, when they hear what the Philistines had done to the body of Saul, it says they march all through the night to take the body of Saul and the body of his sons. They come back to Jabesh, they burn them to give them a proper burial, but then it says they fast seven days. So there is this fasting as an act of mourning. And this, in some ways, is, a, is reactive. Something has happened in our life. And as this event has happened to us or happened around us, these individuals, the scriptures tell us, wanted to go to God. And they wanted to find strength and they wanted to find comfort and they wanted to find guidance. This is a reactive form of fasting. But the scriptures also tell us that when there was an important decision to be made, there's proactive fasting. So before the decision has to be made, before the event occurs... There are individuals that fast. And you might already be thinking about this, but Esther. Queen Esther is one of the best examples of that. If you go to Esther, and there's actually several occasions for fasting in the book of Esther. But Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. And this is, this is just after we have maybe that, that famous verse there in verse 14. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time of this. There's already been fasting, there's already been mourning and weeping because of the decree that has gone out. And, and Esther is making this bold decision that she is going to go before the king. She is going to take her life in her hands and she is going to go before the king. But look at her request. It says in verse 16, go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Proactive. 
seeking to draw closer to God, to gain strength, to gain guidance, to know what to do in this dire and troublesome circumstance. Ezra, similarly, if you go maybe just a few pages over in your Bible to Ezra chapter 8, this is when Ezra is leading individuals back to Jerusalem. And it mentions that Ezra, Ezra was in a little bit of a tough spot. He knew that they were going to face a lot of difficulty. He knew that even on their trip, they might be afflicted or they might be attacked. But he had already told the king that God was going to be with them. And so he didn't take this large cohort of, of military individuals to protect him. And so what does he do when he wants to petition God? In Ezra chapter 8 and in verse 21, on the journey right there, he says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. Proactive. They knew the journey was difficult. They knew the task ahead of them was difficult. They knew that they were going to need guidance from the Lord. And so there he proclaimed a fast. Maybe most interesting to us is to see individuals in the New Testament that were still taking advantage of this practice. If you go to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13 is a wonderful passage because, you know, at least to me, I see two different kinds of fasting here. When you go to Acts chapter 13, and you look there in verse 1, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So that shows me that these individuals had chosen to make fasting part of their ministry. Part of their walk, part of their practice was to fast. So as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So then what's their reaction to this? Having been called to this important task, being separated out by the Holy Spirit, knowing the gravity of the work that lays ahead of them, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So here we have a group of individuals, we have a church in the New Testament that is fasting together, that is praying together as they send these men out to an important task. Maybe just a, a page or two over when you go to the churches of Galatia. Again, an important work in appointing elders. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. These are the churches in the region of Galatia. And it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the Lord, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So again, we have a group of individuals. We have a New Testament church that has just made just, just a huge decision. They know what's facing them. It mentions there in, in verse 22, they were exhorting them to continue in the faith. They know that tribulations are coming. And what have the apostles and the disciples done to equip them for these tribulations? They've given them leaders. They've appointed elders. This was a monumental occasion to give them structure, to give them God-ordained leadership. And at the appointing of these elders, we see again, prayer and fasting linked together to strengthen and to encourage well, one, one, other, one other grouping that I want to show you where we see fasting occur in the scriptures. And this, is, uh, this was our, our script reading earlier. This is in recognition of sin. Go, go back again. And this is probably more closely linked to our very first 
uh, very first reference of fasting there at the Day of Atonement. Why were the Israelites supposed to afflict their soul or humble themselves or chasten themselves? It was in recognition of sin and the fact that sin separated them from God. And so on that Day of Atonement, as those sins were being removed, as those sins were being placed on the scapegoat and the scapegoat was being sent out of the camp, that very physical reminder of their sins being taken away from them, they were to fast. They were to focus and to humble their souls to think about the sin that was being removed from their life. And we see several other examples that I'm going to run through here that talk about that in a similar way. Go back, if you would, to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 7. A similar recognition here. And this, in a lot of these cases here, there's a repentance and a confession element as well. So there's acknowledgement of sin, but there's also confession and repentance. 1 Samuel chapter 7. As the people come to him at Mizpah, there in verse 6 it says, So they gathered together at Mizpah, they drew water, they poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. They recognize their shortcoming. In the context here, this is after the ark has come back. So they've acted inappropriately. They've lost these battles. The ark's been taken away for a period of time by the Philistines. But now the ark has returned. And the people are coming to Samuel here at Mizpah to be judged once again, to humble themselves under God's ordinances, and they're confessing their sin. Nineveh is a fantastic example. If you go over to Jonah and the story of Jonah, and even our little ones know the story of Jonah how Jonah was this reluctant minister. God called him to go and preach to Nineveh. Now at the time, Nineveh, this capital of Assyria, this is a Gentile nation. This is not God's people. You know, these are not people that have grown up with the old law, with the Ten Commandments, with the relationship with God. But God cares about these individuals and he sends the prophet Jonah to them. Well, after Jonah has been humbled himself and has been sent to the people through the belly of that great fish, as he preaches to them in chapter 3, the response is incredible. The response is beyond what anybody could possibly believe. It's beyond what Jonah can believe. When you go to Jonah chapter 3, look there in verse 5. This is the response to Jonah's preaching. The people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth. From the greatest to the least of them, word came to the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Now, this is, this is remarkable. Read on, read on with me for just a second. This is not just the people. This is not just the people and the king, even their animals. In verse 7, he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? What a, what a tremendous response. When confronted with Jonah's preaching, from the least of them to the greatest of them, and even including the animals. Now, this, this, is, a true, I mean, this is a true nationwide fast. This is a nationwide fast, but this is in response to their sin. When they hear this preaching and they have this call to repent, they respond. And one of the ways in which they choose to repent and to confess the sin and to show that humility is to fast. Daniel, as Daniel prays for the people in Daniel chapter 9, and Daniel is one of those individuals that it mentions several other times about fasting. But in Daniel chapter 9, 
In verses three through five, it says, he set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Verse four, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned. He is confessing for the nation. And when he goes to God, the great and awesome God, to confess, he does so with sackcloth, with ashes, with fasting, to humble himself. We've read earlier in our scripture reading from Nehemiah chapter 9. Again, a situation where the law is being read. The law is being read to the people. And on this day, when the law is being read to the people, as they are recognizing how they have not, they have not kept their part of the covenant, they have not lived up to that law. Can you think about that for just a second? Where you're spending in the entire day reading the law and fasting. Reading the law, fasting, confessing your sins. What a wonderful show of humility and understanding of the gravity of sin and how that separates us and it separates our soul from God. We could also mention in the New Testament, Acts chapter 9 and verse 9. Saul, after being on the road to Damascus, when he is confronted there with Jesus, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's blinded. And he goes in, he's three days. He fasts for three days. And I can only imagine that during those three days, Saul is lost. His entire world has just been turned upside down. He thought that he was serving God. He thought that by punishing and persecuting these individuals, it says later on that he lived in good conscience. He thought he was doing what he was supposed to do, and now he's been told that he is actually persecuting the one that he desired to save. I can imagine that during those three days of fasting, there was a great amount of of repentance. There was a great amount of humility in realizing just what he had done. But I also want us to realize that the scriptures are very plain that not all fasting is good. There is absolutely a wrong way to fast. And in fact, Isaiah and Zechariah speak out against the people in the Old Testament for not fasting the right way. They had, like so many other elements of their worship, they had taken something that was designed to bring you closer to God. They had taken something that was designed to humble and to chasten, and they had made it meaningless. They had, they had not obeyed the Lord They had not desired to draw closer to him. They'd made it about themselves. Let's look in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58 and Zechariah 7 are are, are very similar. Isaiah 58 deals deals a a, a great bit with fasting. But let's look at some of these verses here. Isaiah 58 and let's start in verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? This is speaking to God. Why have we afflicted our souls? There's that mention, again, going back to Leviticus. Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. This is God's response. You fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? God points out that your fast is meaningless because of your behavior. You take advantage of those that are below you. You treat others with contempt. Think about our studies uh, on Sunday mornings in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, where Christ tells them, listen, if you've got a quarrel with your brother, leave your sacrifice here at the altar and go make things right with your brother. 
Your sacrifice, your worship is going to be meaningless and empty if you are not treating your brother correctly. In the same way here, your fast to God is going to be meaningless when all the rest of the time you are treating others with violence. You are taking advantage of individuals. God said, that's not the fast that I want. That's not the fast that I want. You have not afflicted your soul. You have not humbly reflected on your relationship with me when you are mistreating others. Zechariah chapter 7 is very similar. We won't take the time to go over there. You can certainly go read those verses. But in that situation, they are coming to Zechariah and they say, hey, should we still keep this fast day? And Zechariah says, you know, why? (laughs) You're not living right the rest of the time. And if you're not loving God and responding and obeying God the rest of the time, it's pointless to keep this fast day over here. What really got me thinking about this was our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, Christ echoes the words of the prophets, but he makes it so personal and so clear to us. Let's look at a couple of those verses. Matthew chapter 6, and there verses 16 through 18. This is, this is very personal. This is, this is talking to individuals. He says in verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. Some versions say the pretenders, which is a, which is a great word. Don't be like the pretenders with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Again, with these individuals, with the Pharisees, with the, with the scribes, the Sadducees, fasting was still commonplace, but again, they had twisted it. They had perverted it. Like their prayers and like their charitable deeds, they were doing it just to be seen by others. And so they disfigured their face and made themselves look hungry and gaunt and tired so that everybody could see, oh, wow, you must, you must have been fasting for a really long time. What a pious individual. What a humble individual. They had made it meaningless. They had taken something that was designed to draw the soul closer to God and made it about themselves and how they appear. And we're told that, that is wrong. That is empty That's pointless, and that's not going to draw us closer to God. And his instructions to them is that when you fast, don't let anybody know about it. Wash your face. Look fine. Look normal. This is not about others. This is about your relationship to me. So as we draw the lesson to the the close, this is what I want for us to to touch on. Should we fast today? That's that's really what this is about. Should we fast today? This this has been a good overview of how fasting is, is presented in the scriptures, but how do we apply this? Well, certainly there, there is no direct commandment. You know, the only time that we see it commanded is on that day of atonement. The day of atonement is not something that, that we commemorate in our lives under the new covenant. So there's no direct commandment. There's also no specifics. If you, if you notice here, there's all different kinds of fasts. You know, there's fasts for individuals. The individuals in, in Nineveh, they did, they did their animals as well. We had a one-day fast. We had three-day fast. We had a seven-day fast, some with water, some without water. We don't have any specifics as to when or for how long. But hopefully you can see that when we consider these verses, fasting can play a role in the life of a Christian today. Let's look at a couple things in the New Testament. And if you're still in Matthew chapter 6, just think about that context that we mentioned a minute ago. He mentions fasting in context with prayer and charitable deeds. I don't think any of us would say that prayer and charitable deeds don't have a place in the life of a Christian today. In fact, I think we would say we're doing something wrong if we are not charitable. Certainly we're doing something wrong if prayer does not play a regular part in our lives today. 
And fasting is mentioned right alongside those two things. But also, I think it's interesting that he says in chapter 6, in verse 16, and in verse 17, moreover, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. Verse 17, but you, speaking to the faithful, speaking to the disciples, that are not going to be like the hypocrites, that are not going to be like the pretenders, but you, again, when you fast. This is the proper way to do it. We haven't looked at it, but there, there are other uh, verses that talk about fasting. The disciples of John come to Christ, and they say, hey, how, how come your disciples don't fast? And he said, they will. There's going to come a time. They don't fast right now because they've got the bridegroom. This is, this is the feast. This is the party. When the bridegroom's taken away, they're going to fast. There's going to be cause for fasting. So he says, when you fast. I, I, don't, I, I don't take that lightly. When you fast. We also see, if you go over a couple of chapters in Matthew, Matthew chapter 17, there's a circumstance where a boy with a demon uh, that has caused him to have epilepsy is brought to the disciples, and the disciples cannot cast this demon out. The disciples cannot cast this out, so it's brought to Christ. And Christ is able to do it, and they say, well, why, why couldn't we do that? And in summary, he says, because of your little faith. Your faith is not great enough to do that. But he says there in verse 20, He says, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. If you have greater faith, you can do these things. And what encouragement is given there in verse 21 is this addendum. It says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So what's the connection there? If your faith is little and you want it to be bigger, what is the way to grow a greater faith? Prayer and fasting. Now, we're not looking to cast out demons today. Thankfully, we don't have that task and that responsibility to us. But I think everyone in this room would say, yes, sign me up for greater faith. I I want greater faith. I want these tasks, these mountains that are in front of me in my life, I want to be able to move those. And the advice that's given here in Matthew chapter 17 is prayer and fasting, growing closer to God. I think it's also interesting, one one more verse that we're gonna look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And again, this is, this is not the, the point of, of this, this chapter, but I do think it's interesting that it's mentioned here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's talking about some of, these, uh, some of these situations of marriage and giving some instructions for those that are married. And I just think it's interesting here that he, he's, he's talking about how uh, the husband and wife have these obligations to one another. They have this very, very special, intimate bond And this bond should not be broken. This bond should not be separated. But look what he says in verse five. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. And why would you deprive one another? Why would you separate this this bond, this intimate bond for a period of time? It says that you may give yourselves to fasting and to prayer and then come together again. So again, that's that's not the point of the overall context there, but I think it's interesting that he says the only time that you should separate intimately from one another for a period of time is if you are going to be growing closer to God via prayer and fasting. Okay? So what do we, how, do we, how do we conclude this? How do, how do we wrap this up? I think hopefully you've seen tonight there is certainly evidence in Scripture that we as Christians can utilize fasting today. There's certainly no commandment that says on the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, from sunup to sundown, you do this, 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 and this. We, we're not going to find that. 
But hopefully you've seen with me tonight that there are individuals from the Old Testament and the New Testament, men and women, groups, even churches, that utilized fasting to grow closer to God. They took away something physical, food, something that's a regular part of our lives, something that we enjoy, something that we love. We took something away, we abstained from something with the specific purpose of drawing our soul closer to God. Now, if you leave here tonight and you say, man, on Thursday, fasting sounds really cool. I'm going to try a fast on Thursday. I think, I think you've missed it. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying just go out and try a fast. There was a specific purpose. There were specific times that individuals chose to use this to draw closer to God. We looked at all those different examples. When individuals were mourning, when they, when they had something that was precious and dear to them that was taken away, an individual, when they were sad and they wanted the comfort of God, they used fasting to grow closer to God. When they were trying to be proactive, when they had a big decision, they would go to God in prayer and fasting, asking for comfort, asking for guidance, asking for leadership. So I think we can ask ourselves today, is there ever a time that we need to break away from the world and focus on our soul's relationship with the Lord? Yes, I would say so. There's so many things in this world that are trying to steal your attention away. And they're in your pocket probably right now. It is trying to steal your attention away. It is trying to take you away from God. If there's ever a time that we can break away from the world and focus on our soul's relationship, we should do it. Have you ever needed to seek the Lord's guidance on an important decision? I would say yes. We have important decisions thrown at us all the time. Decisions that impact our family. Decisions that impact our future. Decisions that impact our walk with God. Fasting can be a tool that can draw us closer to God to ask his will. As a church, as a congregation, as Northfield Boulevard, do we as a group have cause to unite in a humble act to seek greater faith? I would say yes. We have the examples in the New Testament of churches that when faced with big decisions, when faced with trials and tribulations that they knew were coming, came together, unified, to humble themselves, to chasten their souls in fasting, to draw closer to God. Maybe you've been confronted with sin in your own life. Maybe something has happened in your life and it is just hitting you square between the eyes that you have sin that is separating you from God. We have examples of individuals in the Old Testament and the New Testament that when they realized the sin in their life, as part of their repentance, as part of their confession, they chose to also go to God with fasting to demonstrate their humility. Now, let me tell you, I, I don't want to gloss over what we studied in Isaiah and in Zechariah and also what our Lord tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have never named the name of Christ, if you are not a Christian right now, and you realize that you have sin in your life and the answer that you find is to go fast for a day to try to be right with God, that is not what the Scriptures tell us. Just picking... Just picking a physical act to try to get right with God is not what the scriptures show us. The scriptures show us that we have a responsibility. That yes, we must repent of the sin that is in our life. We do need to confess. We need to be baptized to have those sins washed away. And then we need to walk with God. Seek to stay in a right relationship with Him. And as part of that right relationship, as part of that walk, every single day, we should strive to grow closer and closer with him. This is an opportunity. 
If you are here tonight and you realize that you are not walking with God, that you are not a Christian, you've never been baptized, you've never confessed your sins, you've never repented of those sins, you've never expressed your belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, please do not leave before doing that. Likewise, also, if you're a Christian and you realize that your walk with God is not as it should be, sin has separated you, it has pulled you away, we would love to help you. We would love to do anything that we can to help you to grow closer to God. And if there's something that we can do, please, we'd ask you to come forward while we stand and while we sing.